Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Four Verticals Podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Phipps. This episode is being recorded on January 27, 2021. Uh, I brought my friend Robert along this episode to help me get through some of this news. Say hello, Robert. What's up? It's good to be back. It's good to have you back as well. Uh, we're going to start off with some UFC news. Um, the McGregor Poirier uh, fight was last weekend. So without further ado, let's get directly into it. On the McGregor Poirier undercard, Michael Chandler made his UFC debut as he fought the number six ranked Dan Hooker. Um, he ultimately prevailed over Dan Hooker and had some choice words for McGregor, uh, Khabib, and I believe Justin Gaethje after uh, his fight. Uh, Robert, can I get your thoughts on his post-fight trash talk? Yeah, I love the energy. Me, myself, I'm a big fan of trash talk, but I feel like in this situation, he's just biting more than he can swallow at this point, and he just needs to take it one day at a time, step by step. Uh, Michael Chandler is no rookie. You know, he, he has been around the MMA scene for a while, but with this being his UFC debut and him prevailing over Dan Hooker so uh, dominantly, I do believe that he's in the right headspace moving forward. Um, especially in that lightweight division. We have uh, so, so many moving parts in that lightweight division. Uh, we still don't know if Khabib is truly retired, like he said. Um, not to mention that the main event for this card was in that lightweight division. So um, definitely going to want to see more out of Michael Chandler soon, especially in this very, very stacked lightweight division. Moving on to another fight. Um, Juliana, Juliana Pena calls out Amanda Nunez after choking out Sarah McMahon. Um, in my opinion, Juliana Pena has a death wish. Um, there's not too many people that can get away with calling out Amanda Nunez, and I don't believe that she's one of them. Uh, Amanda Nunez is scheduled to fight at um, UFC 259, um, defending her featherweight championship versus Megan Anderson, and... I have her retaining that championship. We'll get into we'll get more into the future UFC pay-per-views in a little bit. Now, for the main event of that evening, Dustin Poirier TKOs Conor McGregor in the second round as his calf kicks from the first round set up the stand-up and immobilize Conor McGregor. Um, going into the fight, I had Conor McGregor winning in the second round. Um, when you look at the previous fight between these two, McGregor was at the top of his game, and Dustin Poirier definitely had not developed into the Dustin Poirier we know now. Um, I also see, um, well, I also saw that McGregor was coming off of that win versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and I thought that maybe his his momentum would carry him further into this fight. Obviously, I was wrong. Robert, can I get your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, people are looking at this fight as a major loss for McGregor and just throwing all these accusations. You know what they usually do at top people just in any sports that we've seen, saying he's washed now and just saying that he's fell off. But they're not giving Dustin Poirier enough credit because that was an amazing win. He set up Conor McGregor in a very special type of way, going on, the, going to his legs and hitting, with them, hitting him with those calf kicks. And... Honestly, I feel like Dustin Poirier deserves more credit instead of Conor McGregor getting all the hate that he's been receiving. And I have seen that as well. Some people were saying that um, Conor McGregor's inactivity um, was what led to the was what led to this loss. Um, also, 
Um, you know, fanboys out there saying that Conor McGregor's washed, which I don't believe is the case at all. Dustin Poirier is an amazing fighter. Uh, he's ranked for a reason. Um, you know, all, all credit to Dustin Poirier because the manner in which he finished Conor McGregor, not a lot of people would have expected that from him. Um, a lot of people would have expected him to try and take it to the ground because we know that that's not McGregor's strong suit. Um, and also credit to Conor McGregor because I personally had him uh, winning round one. Uh, I, I think he did win round one. Uh, he landed he landed a couple big shots versus Poirier. Um, but ultimately, uh, he fell to Poirier's stand-up game, which was definitely, definitely unexpected. So with that pay-per-view out of the way, where does the lightweight division go from here? Um, here are some situations that I have, um, I've set up in my mind. Um, we can, uh, Dana can set up a, Dana White I'm um, referring to, can set up uh, Tony Ferguson versus Conor McGregor. Um, I like that fight. Um, Ferguson is coming off of a, uh, a, a two-fight losing streak, his first one being to Justin Gaethje, and his second one, um, the the number the, the name is blanking on me, but he is coming off of a, a two-fight losing streak. McGregor is also now on a one-fight losing streak, so um, I feel like that would be a very entertaining fight, especially because we haven't seen these two uh, fighters match up against each other, and so I think that that that's a fight that could sell a pay-per-view instantly, especially with McGregor on the uh, on the ticket. You know, M McGregor's always been a, a giant pay-per-view buy for the UFC, and so I think matching him up versus Tony Ferguson doesn't even have to be the main event. It could be on an undercard. You know, this light this lightweight division has so many moving parts, and it's so uh, deep within the this division. It's it has multiple avenues and where it could go. Um, Khabib has not yet vacated the title, but um, assuming Khabib is truly retired and uh, he will soon vacate the title, um, I would like to see Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje for the undisputed lightweight title. Um, from what we have seen out of Gaethje, Gaethje is very, very, very underrated. Um, a lot of people had Tony Ferguson mopping the floor with him when they fought and we saw that that went the distance and Justin Gaethje ultimately pulled out the victory. Um, a lot of people took Khabib in their championship fight to unify the belts. I also took Khabib, um, but Justin Gaethje, I mean, it's, it's hard against, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest in that division, if not the greatest in that division. So um, I would like Dana to set up that Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje fight for the championship whenever Khabib vacates the title, if Khabib vacates the title. Um, another moving part that I have yet to mention is Charles Oliveira. Um, Charles Oliveira fits in I don't know where, but he's definitely um, soon up for a title shot. Um, some other uh, people that I have mentioned earlier, Michael Chandler, uh, I know it. he just had his UFC debut, but he's also in this stack lightweight division, and as well as Dan Hooker. Um, his ranking is definitely going to take a hit after that Michael Chandler loss, but it's probably not going to take one significantly. And to be to give Dan Hooker all of his credit, he is an incredible fighter. So enough of that lightweight division. Let's move on to some of the future um, pay-per-views. The next pay-per-view, UFC 258, 
welterweight champion Kamaru Usman will defend his title versus number two ranked welterweight Gilbert Burns. Um, this is going to be a very exciting fight. Um, I've become a, a fan of Kamaru Usman ever since, you know, he he took the title from Tyron Woodley. Um, Kamaru Usman has been nothing short of a very exciting fight. Um, I believe that that's going to be a very exciting fight to watch. A lot of action going on, a lot of stand-up game. Um, Robert, can I get your thoughts on uh, who, you're, who you're taking in that fight, uh, Kamaru Usman or uh, Gilbert Burns? Honestly, I'm taking Gilbert Burns just because I like him better. I don't know what it is about him, but I just like the way he fights. His style is pretty it's pretty easy for me to catch on to, and I honestly don't see that many weaknesses in it. All righty. So my pick is Kamaru Usman. Robert's pick is Gilbert Burns. Now, let's move on to UFC 259, which is a very, very stacked undercard. Champion Jan Blaschewicz will be defending his light heavyweight title versus champion Israel Adesanya. Um, the question I have is why did Adesanya choose to move up um, at this time? Um, I definitely think this is going to be a, a, a very interesting fight because Adesanya has never moved from he, – he's, he's never moved. You know, He's never been uh, fighting at – he's never fought at light heavyweight in the UFC before. And if there was a time that I would have thought Adesanya would have moved up to light heavyweight, it would have been when John Jones was still in the division. Um, as we know, John Jones has vacated that light heavyweight title in order to move up to heavyweight. And so it kind of seems like Adesanya only chose to move up once um, John Jones moved out. Um, a little, eh, just a little interesting. Um, regardless, that is the main event for UFC 259, a super fight between champion Jan Blaschewicz, who is putting his title on the line versus Israel Adesanya. Um, Adesanya also is putting up his undefeated record in the UFC, which, I mean, that's, that's a bold move, putting up your 20-0 record versus a, a champion of a division that you've never fought before. On that undercard, as I mentioned previously, uh, Amanda Nunes is... Um, defending her featherweight championship versus Megan Anderson, as well as one of my um, more the more anticipated fights that I've been waiting on, uh, champion Peter Yan is defending his bantamweight championship versus Aljamain Sterling. Uh, I believe we've been waiting for this for uh, uh, quite a quite a while now. Uh, I actually watched the, I believe it was a fight night. Well, Aljamain Sterling um, was crowned the number one contender for uh, the title fight. And so that's going to, that's me personally, that is my uh, fight that I'm looking most forward to on that UFC 259 pay-per-view. Moving away from the UFC and on to the NFL, we have our championship round recap. So the first game of last Sunday, the Buccaneers at the Packers. The Buccaneers prevailed 31-26. to Tom Brady has moved on to his 10th Super Bowl and the first ever home Super Bowl in the history of the NFL. Uh, LaFleur made a decision to kick a field goal when the Packers were had fourth and goal. Um, they made the field goal, but uh, the Packers never got another chance to, to score because 
uh, time expired with the ball in Tampa Bay's um, possession. Robert, can I get your thoughts on this game? Yeah, this game, it was very entertaining to me, at least. I can say that. <laughs> Shout out to all the Packers fans who are mad right now. But, you know, people want to blame this game on one or two plays. Like you could say, for instance, a little floor decision to kick the field goal on fourth down when you have <laughs> literally the most talented quarterback to ever play the game. But it's just it was it's a team game at the end of the day. You know, that was a dumb decision. It's a decision that could probably tie them up a game and who knows what would have happened. But it was just small mistakes like the Kelvin King mistake the Kevin King mistakes and the missed tackles and everything like that. It's always it's always a team game, you know. They did miss a they missed a bunch of tackles, especially on that learning from that big run. I saw about four missed tackles and it seemed like nobody even had their head up trying to go for him. They were just trying to throw their body at him and that was just any superstar running back can make that play. And Tom Brady, he played amazing in the, in the first half. In the second half, you know, he kind of declined a little bit, but it's still Tom Brady at the end of the day. So, yeah. Uh, what shocked me was that the Packers' offense was not able to convert on two uh, Tom Brady picks in the fourth quarter. Uh, that shocked me because you know, this Packers offense has been dangerous this entire season. And for them to suffer two straight drives that were stalled because of this Buccaneers defense, who has been both up and down this season, um, you know, it was very shocking to me. Uh, I definitely think that um, even including the fourth quarter, you know, in the, including the entire game, I definitely think that Aaron Rodgers outperformed Tom Brady. Um, if you look at the numbers, just simple. They were they were close enough in yards. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw three touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Tom Brady threw three touchdowns and three picks. You know, pretty easy to see that um, Aaron Rodgers had the upper hand in this game. But what it came down to was the defense and the Buccaneers' defense. To give them their credit, they stepped up when they needed to. Tom Brady committed two. Um, could have been game altering interceptions and that Buccaneers defense they you know they get they got up and they made plays and they made they you know they they caused uh the Packers to not uh score on two consecutive drives and um yeah it's just I, I'm I'm disappointed that the Packers did not win because Aaron Rodgers is my favorite quarterback but I gotta give credit where credit is due um, that Buccaneers team, they showed up, and they definitely showed out. Yeah, and just one more thing to go off of that. The, I don't know if I'm one of the only people that noticed this, but the Buccaneers seemed like they really wanted that win more. Like, the Packers, they came out pretty slow and sluggish at first. Like, they were, again, with the mistakes. And the Buccaneers, they just capitalized off of every single possession, and they capitalized off of every single turnover. So. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the next game, Bills at Chiefs. Um, I had the Chiefs in this one, and they proved me right. Um, the score was 38 to 24. Uh, Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs overpowered the Bills, who couldn't contain their offense at all. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. He's Patrick Mahomes. You know what are you gonna do when you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill? Uh, not a lot of teams have the necessary uh, assets to cover both of them at once, and you know. When you, if you try to neutralize one, the other is gonna, um, the other is gonna show out, and when the other shows out, you divert all your attention to him, and then the other one, you know, it's it's just that 
I don't I don't know what else to say about uh, the Chiefs' offense. You know, we've seen time and time again that this Chiefs' offense is dangerous and they can score seemingly at will, especially after um, the special teams mistake by McCall Hardman to put the uh, the Bills up. I believe it was nine three after a missed kick by uh, the Bills the Bills kicker. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted the Bills to put up more of a fight, but after that um, special teams error, it seemed like the Chiefs, uh, they just they just had the Bills number. And, yeah, when I was watching this game, it was over before it even started, to be honest. That muff kick, I mean, that, I mean, that muff punt, it was the only thing that the Bills had going momentum-wise that whole entire game. And one thing I will say about the Chiefs' defense is that they step up in the playoffs like big time players like Dan Sorensen, I think that might be the greatest safety in playoffs history. It's a joke, obviously, but he just makes really big time plays every game. And honestly, Patrick Mahomes showed us who Patrick Mahomes is. He's the golden boy, the future, whatever you want to call him. He and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey obviously obviously took that game personal, being forgotten about because people had their doubts on him, especially and recent receiver rankings by other players around the league, not putting them in the top five. I guess they took that as some sort of disrespect because the way they play, the way they've been playing this, this whole playoff series is just incredible. They've accounted for more than, to each of them together, they have accounted for more than 500 plus yards total. And that's just wild insane. in the span of two games. Like that's, that's insane, but. Alrighty, so. To move away from the championship round and on to Super Bowl 55 picks. My official Super Bowl 55 pick, 31-35 Buccaneers. I have Tom Brady winning his seventh championship. Um, in this playoffs, I, I've i made – I had a severe lapse in judgment, and I made the number one mistake that no one should ever make downing Tom Brady in the playoffs. Um, and I'm going to take Tom Brady to win his seventh championship. Um, both of these quarterbacks, you know, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, they are of championship pedigree, especially Tom Brady with his six rings. Um, I just, I don't know. It, I, I find it very hard to bet against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl because, I mean, he's the Super I wouldn't be surprised if um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Buccaneers got out to an early lead and just held it, because I um, I don't know the Tom it's it's Tom Brady it's Tom Brady in the Super Bowl I don't I'm, I'm taking Tom Brady in the Super Bowl Robert can I get your pick you you guys already know I'm taking Patrick Mahomes honestly you know it's just I miss something about him he's the golden child. He's the future of the NFL. He's the future face of probably sports in this, these next going ten years. I don't even want to say future. I think he's the face now. I would say at least of the NFL. Uh, yeah, he's definitely the face of the NFL now. But we saw last time, and I know that was regular season, but you know that was a good game played by the Buccaneers, and the Chiefs still just had too much firepower. They were able to hold, hold on to the lead at the end. Now, I will say this. I feel like it will be a shootout. That's because it's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense. And then Tom Brady, he's going to find a way to piece up this Chiefs' defense, no matter how good they play, because it's Tom Brady. 
But in the end, I do see the Chiefs winning. I will say the score will be 38-31 Chiefs just because it will be a high-scoring game. And you just got to give me Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's not a lot of flaws in that offense, and that defense stands up when – well, steps up when it, it's, the game's on the line. This matters really. So uh, This is Mahomes' second straight Super Bowl, and this is – well, this is his second straight Super Bowl, and after him coming out of his third straight AFC championship. Um, just a little fun fact. Who did he lose his first one to? Tom Brady. And now he's seeing Tom Brady uh, in the Super Bowl, which, again, might I add, is the first ever home Super Bowl in history. Um, moving away from playoff talk, well, somewhat, um, questions have been swirling on whether Aaron Rodgers played his final game as a Packer last Sunday. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that Aaron Rodgers would request out because when you look at this Packers team, they still have a bunch of talent on this offense. But I do think that this Packers front office is going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make, they're going to have to make it up to Aaron Rodgers at least, you know. Um, with them taking Jordan Love in the first round and them drafting a running back, even though that uh, Aaron Rodgers was under contract for, I believe, four more years at the time that they uh, that they drafted Jordan Love and them not necessarily needing a running back, you know, um, that, that definitely was on Aaron Rodgers' mind throughout the season. And I believe that this season was kind of like, it was almost as if, like, Aaron Rodgers uh, wanted to show the Packers organization who he was again, because you know there have been this no there has been this notion that Aaron Rodgers is on a decline. Um, obviously, he's not on a decline anymore. He just had the best season of his career and will more than likely be the MVP of the league. But Aaron Rodgers almost had to prove himself again to this front office, and so as a sign of good faith from this front office, uh, I believe that they have to get. They have to get um, more receiving threats around Aaron Rodgers. They have to shore up their defense. They have to do something to regain Aaron Rodgers' trust. Um, I believe that that move from Lafleur to kick a field goal, um, obviously that took a lot of trust in his defense. But what what I'm thinking is that in his head, in the back of his head, he didn't trust Aaron Rodgers to to come away with the touchdown. Um, which is, you know, fine for him. But eh, some people might say that it's it's the decision has been made. Um, I personally, I'm not a head coach, obviously, but I would have left it up to Aaron Rodgers to try and make something happen because we have seen magic happen with Aaron Rodgers time after time after time again. Um, it's an unfortunate situation that LaFleur put himself in um, not necessarily the worst decision ever. Well, let me let me let me uh, rephrase that. It was a very bad decision, um, but not one that ultimately cost him the game because multiple mistakes um, in the first half and in even the third quarter. Uh, I believe that there was a drop two point conversion by uh, some receiver whose name that uh, eludes me as of now. Um, you know, if that maybe if that two point conversion wasn't dropped, 
then LaFleur chooses to go for the touchdown. And, you know, we're, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Um, regardless, uh, the past is in the past. Uh, I definitely still think that Aaron Rodgers will suit up in the green and yellow next season. Um, but I think that major moves are coming from this Packers front office um, to make Aaron Rodgers happy again. All right, moving away from playoff talk completely now. Um, why is Eric Bieniemy not a head coach in the NFL yet? Um, I have been less speechless as to why Eric Bieniemy has not been hired by some NFL team as a head coach. Um, me personally, if I was the head, if I was um, in charge of the Chargers organization, I definitely would have had Eric Bieniemy as my number one. Um, we've seen that Deshaun Watson has campaigned for Eric Bieniemy to at least get an interview. Um, I don't know if that has happened yet, which means that this Deshaun Watson saga is far from over. And Matthew Stafford is potentially going to be uh, shipped off this this offseason. Um, Robert, can I get your thoughts on some of his potential landing spots, like uh, the 49ers or... I, I believe I saw some other teams. Um, yes, if I'm the Colts, and if I can't get those superstar trades, obviously like Deshaun Watson or a guy like that, I definitely want Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford is will forever be one of those guys, those what-if guys. We've seen the things that he did with the Lions. We've seen the plays that he made. He was – he was a really great superstar, honestly, and I feel like if he was on any other at least competent organization, he would have, he would have, I'm not going to say have a ring, but he would have a good amount of accolades under his belt, maybe an MVP, maybe two, who even knows. But he definitely has been in just a bad position his whole career. But again, he's a superstar talent, and don't take anything away from him. If he goes to the Colts, especially with that defense, and they pick up one more weapon or somebody on that offense develops and a maybe a receiver starts dropping the ball, then he's referring to Michael Pittman. <laughs> then that game that team can be a Super Bowl team. Alrighty, moving away from the moving away from the uh moving away from the NFL, um we have some unfortunate news. Uh Hall of Fame, baseball Hall of Famer Hank Aaron has passed away at the age of 86. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've never been too um, interested in baseball until I had to start covering it. But I do know that Hank Aaron was a uh, legend in the baseball. Um, he, I believe he held the, the – the home run record before it was broken by uh, Barry Bonds. And so unfortunate to see a legend has passed away. Uh, rest in peace to Hank Aaron. My condolences to his family. Um, moving on to semi-related uh, news. There will be no new members of the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. Um, for this Baseball Hall of Fame, 70, a 75% uh, Yes, vote is required for any new members to be added. No members received that um, that criteria, and so there will be no new members of the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is the first time this has happened since 2013. Moving away from that and on to our last little bits of news, 
NBA news. Karis LeVert has had a successful surgery to remove the cancerous uh, the cancer from his kidney. He is expected to make a full recovery. Um, this is great news. Um, you know that if who's to say if the trade never happened, this cancer would have went undetected for however long. Um, it's great to see that Karis LeVert is 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 healthy and expected to make a full recovery. I'm glad to see that the Pacers organization caught this when they did in the very, very early stages. And so prayers up to Karis LeVert. Hopefully he can, um, you know, uh, be on the cover soon, be, be um, on the court soon, excuse me. Yeah, I definitely – this was really heartwarming news to hear about Karis LeVert, to be honest. One of the young guys that I like, and he's definitely developed into a really good player, a really good, more than a role player at this point. And, you know, it's a blessing in disguise, honestly, because I feel like if this trade never happened, then that cancer probably would have went undetected for it. I'm not going to say for the whole period of the time for it to develop into something way more serious, but it definitely would have developed, developed over at least a good chunk of time because nobody had a clue. He didn't have a clue. So it's just really a blessing in disguise at the end of the day, and praise up to him. Alrighty, moving on from that um, to semi-related news. The Nets are trying to trade for a big man after their weakness, being DeAndre Jordan, is being exploited tremendously. Um, if, if we're being brutally honest, DeAndre Jordan is not capable of being a starting center in the NBA anymore. Um, Bam Adebayo dropped his career high, I believe 41 points, on them. Um, the Nets have been getting outboarded. They've been getting outscored in the paint. Uh, they've, the, the, they can't stop anything uh, defensively. And that main defensive problem is DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is not um, fit to be a center anymore. Uh, I do think with uh, him playing sparing, sparingly, um, maybe as an 11th or 12th man, uh, that could be his more defined role, or maybe bring him in, his, in with the second unit. But uh, DeAndre Jordan cannot uh, start anymore. Uh, Jason Tatum has returned to action after missing games with uh, uh, following the COVID-19 protocols. Uh, I have a little bit to say about uh, Jason Tatum and this Celtics team. Um, I know the joke has been that Jason Tatum is so young and he's producing at a high level because he's so young. Um, but it's only going to be a matter of time before Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown truly develop and ultimately take this Celtics franchise to the next level. Uh, we've seen them in the East Eastern Conference Championship, you know, numerous times at this point. It's only a matter of time before this Celtics team takes that next step and finally breaks it in, into uh, the NBA Finals. Um, it might not happen this year. It might not happen next year. But be on the lookout for this Celtics team. They are very, very good. Uh, and, and just a just an opinion on my, uh, the Celtics, on my opinion, yeah, they're a really great team. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're going to be an extraordinary duo. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not going to say the best duo in the league because, you know, still guys like – CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, and Stephen Curry, and Klay Thompson when he gets healthy. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be a superstar duo, and they have the potential to 
be as good, not better, but at least close to that level of those guys. I mean, I know they just played the Bulls and stuff, but that was still a great game. I just said he had 24, I believe. Jalen Brown had 26, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, it was a really good game. It was a very entertaining game. You know, they were, looked like they just had fun and did whatever they wanted to on the court. And they're, they're going to go back to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. And let's Ooh, hope they, take. So they can get, get to the promised land eventually. Eventually. Um, next episode, uh, I'll be diving deeper into the current NBA landscape. Um, we're approaching around 20 games played for some teams, so the playoff seedings are now starting to take their earliest formation, um, especially with uh, NFL news you know, coming in slower and slower as the weeks go by. Obviously, the Super Bowl is in two weeks from, from last Sunday, so uh, next episode will be a deeper dive into the current NBA landscape. Just a heads up for all of you listening out there. And now with our last two pieces of news Seku Smith an NBA reporter and analyst has passed away from COVID-19 um, prayers up to him and his family uh, and those who are grieving uh, my condolences are out with them um, I was not familiar with Seku Smith but um, from the response that has uh, taken place on social media um, he was a vital he was a vital piece in uh, NBA media. So rest in peace to Sacco Smith. And uh, on a more somber note, uh, rest in peace to Sarah and Peyton Chester, John Kerry and Alyssa Altabelli, Christina Mauser, Ara Zobayan, and last but not least, Kobe and Gianna Bryant. Last, I'm sorry, not last, uh, yesterday uh, was the one year anniversary of their untimely, all of their untimely passing. Um, obviously, Kobe Bryant meant a lot to so many people, not just in the NBA, but so many people as fans. Uh, Kobe Bryant was an icon. Um, excuse me. Um, you know, you never want to get news like this, especially, you know, if it happened last year. It's, it seemed like after this happened, the year just took a nose dive for the worst. Um, I hope that Kobe's family, friends, everybody that knew him, everybody that uh, respected and loved him, I hope they um, continue with their, their grieving process and can eventually, you know, come to terms with what happened. I know that's asking a lot, but, you know, um, life goes on, and it's a, a very important thing to, you know, eventually one day that they can look back and not necessarily cry, but they can uh, remember the good times that they had with uh, Kobe B. Yeah, just prayers out to his family. A true inspiration, a true icon. Just one of those guys. If you saw him, you knew what he was about. You knew what he was. You knew what he stood for. He was a great man, great father. And rest in peace to everybody. There was on a helicopter that day. Sadly, I wish that we didn't have to even talk about this right now. And definitely rest in peace to everybody that was on the helicopter. We do not want to forget about them. Exactly. Um, you know, there just was more than just Kobe in that helicopter. Um, again, unfortunate circumstance. Rest in peace to all of those uh, that lost their lives on that day. Just sad. Sad to see human life go like that. And with all that, right, Kobe. that has been this again. episode of the Four Verticals podcast. 
If you would like more updates, please follow Four Vert Podcast on Twitter. That is F O U R V E R T Podcast. Once again, that is F O U R V E R T Podcast. Robert, if you would like to shout out to social media, yeah. <sighs> follow me on Twitter at underscore who is Robert. And follow me on Instagram at underscore who is RJ. That is on Twitter, underscore who is Robert. And on Instagram, underscore who is RJ. And with that, that has been this week's episode. See you again next week. Thank you for tuning in.